Well, um, we're about to dive into the series in week three of our four-week series, uh, Untangled. Um, if you are here and you don't know, I'm Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're watching online, I'm so glad that you have joined us today. If you go to arisedenver.com new, we would love to connect with you in person or online. Go to arisedenver.com new. Fill that form out. And I think it's really important, especially this time of year, because everybody who fills out one of these forms, we give a gift on your behalf, okay? We don't give you a gift like a lot of churches do, but we give a gift to the Denver Rescue Mission, $5 in your name, to help a family get a meal or find a place to stay, some homeless people. And that's really important here at this time of year. So go and do that, okay? If you've been lurking online for a while, for several weeks, just fill it out anyways. Go to arisedenver.com new. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. And we are gonna be in our series, uh, Untangled, today as we talk about that desire to be rich. We desire to be rich. Don't we all wanna be rich? Okay, everybody here is too righteous to raise their hand and admit it. Let's admit it, we all want to be rich. Okay, and this is how I know, okay? This is the, the question that, that I wanna ask you guys. Let's do a little informal poll, and if you're online, I want you to type this in. Would you rather, would you rather have a personal chef who cooks all your meals or someone who cleans your house and does all your laundry, okay? I, I want you to type it in, okay? The, the, the chef or the cleaner if you're online, okay? So who in here, raise your hand if you are the person who wishes you would have a personal chef. Raise your hand. Personal chef, okay. And then who wants somebody to clean and do all their laundry? Who would rather that? Okay, interesting. It's a little bit leaning in person to those who would clean and, and do laundry. It's interesting. If you're here, some of you are like, well, I already have somebody clean, okay, I know that, that you yeah, but like to do all your laundry, and some of you here, if you do have, um, if you're watching and you do have somebody clean your house and your personal chef, go to arisedenver.com slash give and become a tither today, right? No, don't we all like, oh, that'd be so nice, right? We think about these things. Maybe we do those would you rather games. Maybe we think about, okay, if you could, would you rather have a cabin or a beach house? Cabin? Beach house. Ooh, a little bit leaning towards Beach House. You can type that in online, too. I'd love to hear your comments. But we think about these things, right? The, the dream house, if my, I just had a little bit bigger yard. If I just had a yard, right? That's what we say around here. If I just had a yard, if my house was a little bit bigger, if I made a little bit more money, then everything would be good. Oh, maybe if I could just save up for that boat, get it out on the water. We, we have these things that we, we long for, that we look forward to. Oh, maybe if I could just get that PS5. That's looking good for the teenagers this year, right? Or those gamers that we have in the house. Okay, there's all these things that we wish we could get, and if we just had that, everything would be good. And that's how I know every one of us wants to be rich. But here's the problem. None of us will ever be rich if that's how we're thinking. Okay? None of us will ever be rich. Do you know how I know this? Because uh, a few years ago, there was a book that came out um, by Juliet Shore, an economist at Harvard and now Boston College. And in this book, what she says is the problem in our country is that no matter how much you make, you're around other people who make more. You could be making seven-figure income a year in our country, but you will know some people who make eight figures a year, and you'll think, man, I'm not very rich. This is what we do. We're, in our country, we rub shoulders with people who are in different uh, financial categories than we are that are maybe uh, in those different tax brackets, and we always are around people that make more than us. In fact, in one study, they found that over one-third, or I'm sorry, only one-third, 
Only one-third of American households making over $100,000 a year would agree with the statement, I can afford to buy everything I really need. Only one-third of Americans who make over $100,000 a year agree with the statement that I can afford to buy everything I really need. Here's even more interesting. 41% of Americans who make over $200,000 a year cry because they don't have enough money to buy the things they need. 41%, okay? It doesn't matter how much money we make in our country, there's always someone who makes more. And if you're like, no, 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 I make the most amount of money, go to arisedenver.com slash give and become a tither today, okay? The reality is that most all of us say, I'm not rich because we look around and there's people who are richer. We walk around in the neighborhoods. This neighborhood where our church is sitting is the wealthiest zip code in the city of Denver. The wealthiest zip code. And I, I did, there's this calculator online that you can compare it to the rest of the world, that if you take the median income for families in our neighborhood in 80238, it would be in the top 1.5% of earners in the entire world. The median, okay? That's where we live. Yet none of us feel rich, do we? None of us feel rich. We don't feel rich. And that's a problem. We want to be rich, but we're not. And that's the thing that we need to untangle from our hearts today. We want to be rich, but we're not. And that has really knotted up, messed up our hearts. And as we've done this whole series, we're trying to untangle these things from our hearts and this desire of being rich. But let me tell you a little secret. The solution is not that you should stop wanting to be rich. In fact, it's okay to want to be rich. <gasps> don't worry, I'm not going all Gordon Gecko on you. Like, don't worry, this is not Wall Street here. I'm, I'm saying greed is good. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we need to change our focus. Unlike the first two messages in the series, the first one was about that, that desire to look good and impress other people. The second message was our desire to fit in uh, and really not kind of stand out so people won't make fun of us or, or do hard things to us. Those desires we needed to learn to overcome and find freedom from. But this one, to find freedom from the desire to be rich, is not to stop wanting to be rich, but it's to direct that desire in a different way. Because Jesus, in fact, is going to tell us how to be rich today. Interesting, right? You didn't think you'd be getting that today in, in your series on, on being rich. But Jesus is going to tell you how to actually be rich and to untangle your heart from that, that desire to be rich, but you'll never be rich. That doesn't going to work, but we're going to learn how to actually be rich and truly be rich in God's world. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 13, go to verse 21 today. You can follow that on, online if you go to our, the Bible app. If some of you guys are using that here on your phones, you can do that. And all the scriptures I'm going to be using are there. You can find it location-based, find it at Rise Church Denver, and you can find the scriptures we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. In verse 13, uh, we read Jesus, I'm sorry, verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? 
So here is the scene that's going on. Jesus was preaching to these crowds of thousands of people. Probably after he's preaching, he was actually preaching to the disciples. We saw that last week, but the crowds are there overhearing it. This man comes up. This is kind of like after the, the, the message is done, somebody comes up to the speaker afterwards and said, hey, could you uh, tell my brother to divide up our estate? So they're looking at Jesus because he's a rabbi. Rabbis in that day often played these legal um, uh, roles of being like the executor and arbiter of an estate to help when, when there was um, some disagreement about how that should happen. And probably this means that, that this guy's brother wasn't doing things right. So it would have been more than likely that it was the older brother who was supposed to divide the estate. And in those days, what happened was the older brother, yes, would have control of the state, but he was supposed to keep, say, if there's two brothers, that he would take two-thirds of the estate, and then his younger brother would get one-third. So if this guy is probably one of the younger brothers, he's like, hey, this, my older brother isn't giving me my fair share. He's not getting what's expected in their culture, so he's going to the rabbi because, hey, this is, even in God's word, that that's how the estate is supposed to be divided. How come I'm not getting my fair share? And that's the issue that Jesus is called upon to divide between. And what does he say? He's like, why are you asking me? I'm not the executor. I'm not an arbiter. That's not what I'm supposed to do. That's not my job. Now, some of you have had the poor fortune of being an executor of someone's estate. But I haven't ever done that, but I have been around a lot of funerals. Okay, I do, I've done a lot of funerals in my nine years as a pastor. And it, it seems like at every single one almost that there is some argument or fight about the estate. It is. It happens every time. I've seen this. I've gotten a front row seat to see, and I have no bone to pick. Nobody's given me any money. So I just get to witness what's going on, and people will come up to me like they did to Jesus, and they'll say stuff like, I was there at the end. I was serving dad. I was there cleaning up after he, you know, you know wet the bed. I, I took care of all that. I was there for months serving him. I had to quit my job or put it on hold. I wasn't making any money. I was there serving him. I was the nurse. I should get more of the estate. And somebody else will come up and say, well, dad had, had wanted it completely divided evenly, so we're going to do it evenly. And, and there's these tensions brewing behind the scenes. Because there's always someone who thinks, I worked harder, and another person says, well, it has to be fair, or I was dad's favorite, or you were dad's favorite, it's not fair. And they're trying to divide up the state this way, and it causes the fights. Anybody experience one of those? I know people who were in lawsuits for over a decade after someone in their family had died. And after all the lawyer's fees are paid, there's hardly any money left. I've seen it. I've seen families that it seemed like things were okay, then dad dies or mom dies, there's this money left, and all of a sudden the family cannot stand each other ever again. They will never be in the same room, they hate each other. This is what happens. So I, I could give a lesson here right now on that you need to prepare your will right now. If, if you're, you know, take care of that right now, just make it abundantly clear. But that's not what I'm teaching on. That's not even what Jesus is teaching on. The point is that people fight over this stuff because we fight over money. Why? Because we want to be rich. And this man wanted to at least have his fair share, right? I mean, I've seen people fight over just a, like a few thousand dollars. Family's completely divided. And that's what's going on here. And Jesus says, why am I supposed to do this? It's not my job. But then Jesus addresses the situation in verse 6, I'm sorry, in verse 15. He says, then he said to them. So he's addressing this man. Now he's talking to perhaps the disciples, perhaps to the whole crowd. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Hmm. 
Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, the real problem with this man, the real problem with all of us when we desire to be rich is greed. This greed, and we're going to talk about this, this desire that's entangled in our heart of greed, and it's something that we need to watch out for, to be on our guard for. As we've seen throughout this series, Jesus is continuing to give these warnings. Watch out! Be on your guard because our hearts naturally get entangled in these desires. Greed is just in there, and if you're not proactively watching out for it, it's going to entangle your heart. So we've seen throughout this series these different desires of our heart get tangled in there. And it does happen naturally. Last week, after I gave my message and talked about putting up my Christmas lights, and, and you know, every year you have to untangle the, the lights because it just like naturally happens, right? So there's a guy in our church, Matt Bolt. You, you recognize him because he's 6'8", and he self-described the same size as Rob Gronkowski, okay? He was on my football team because, he, yeah, yeah, I was smart. Um, so uh, Matt Bolt, he's also a statistics student at CU Denver. So after the message last week, he messaged me and sent me an article, and uh, I thought it was really fascinating. And, and it was entitled, um, it was entitled, The Mathematical Formula That Causes Your Headphones to Tangle. Isn't that interesting? Okay, some uh, physicists studied this. There's two guys, and they were like, how come it is that even if you put it in that fancy box that Apple used to give you with your iPhone, and you put your headphones in there, it still gets tangled. Why is that? So they studied it, and what they found was that it, it's physics, okay? It's just naturally going to happen. And it, it, they came up with a formula that's, um, that has to do with the length of the cord and the agitation the cord experiences, and what they found really fascinating, if the cord is a foot and a half or shorter, it almost never will tangle. But if it gets over a foot and a half, then it starts to tangle. And in fact, they came up with a graph as they charted this out all the way up to six feet long. This is in meters. But if you go up to six feet, then it doesn't really matter how long the cord is. It still has about a 50% likelihood of being tangled, no matter how good of a job you do wrapping that cord together. Interesting, right? So it's not just me, it's not that I'm, you, you know, you're just a terrible organizer and bad with chords, okay? You see that proportion? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? This was their conclusion at the, the end of this uh, paper. They said, um, the research shows that your earphones are indeed spontaneously knotting themselves. The knots really do form as a matter of physics, not because of your personal lack of meekness. That made me feel better. It's physics. And I think in the same way that our headphone cords just naturally get tangled up together, and so do our, the cords for our lights, in the same way our hearts get tangled up in these desires, the desire to be rich that we're looking at today. Our heart just gets entangled in it. We have to be on our guard for these things, and that's what this series is about. Watch out. Be on your guard. You're tangled up. It's time to get untangled. And Jesus is going to teach us how to do it. And it's not to say, don't ever think about money ever again, but it's to be rich in a different way. So Jesus is now going to tell them a little story. He begins this story in verse 16, and it says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, 
You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, God said to him, You fool. That's God's voice right there. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Verse 21. This is how it will be, Jesus says, with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So here's this man. He has land and he has a great harvest in that year, the big crop, he decides, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to store it all there because then I can have it all for myself and then dies before he can enjoy any of it. It's a fascinating story, right? And this isn't just a parable. I remember when I was in Nebraska and I went to visit this couple, and yes, I later did her funeral, okay? Um, but at the time, she was healthy. And <laughs> yeah, there's a little giggle right there. Okay, um, and I was driving there, and I noticed there was a big house being built, and I, I went the next time, and the house was finished, so I went and talked with this couple, and this was out on what they called the island in the Platte River. It really wasn't an island, just the, the river forked around it, and then, you know, kind of came back together. And, and it was where, you know, people would go out there, they'd big, build big mansions, and that's where they'd live. You could fish on the river, all that good stuff. And I, I asked this couple who I was going to see, oh, hey, I, I drove by. There was that huge house, that mansion that was getting built. Do you know the people that are moving into that? And they're like, oh, we do. There was a dentist in Kearney, and, and he had worked hard and saved up, and he was going to retire, and he and his wife were building this house. This was going to be their retirement home that they were going to live on for the rest of their days. But before he could even move in, he died of an unexpected heart attack. I'm not making this up. This is not a, a parable. What Jesus is telling is this actually happens, right? This man had built up everything, his, his business. I'm sure he was working many, many hours to build up his dental practice. He finally makes enough money. He's going to retire, builds a house, and dies before he can even spend one night in it. That's what happens. Perhaps you've heard the story of the two men attending a funeral. And they walk up to the casket, look at the, the man who's laid out there, and the first man that says at the second, he says, so how much did he leave? And the second man says, everything. You don't take anything with you when you die. There are no hearses pulling U-Hauls, right? You take nothing with you when you die. Leo Tolstoy once uh, wrote a, a short story, and it's considered one of the greatest short stories ever written. And it, it's entitled, How Much Land Does a Man Need? How Much Land Does a Man Need? There's this, this man in, it, uh, in the story. It, it's the story of a man named Payhome, and Payhome is just a very poor peasant. He hardly has anything, but he hears his, you know, his sister and his mother talking, and, and they're like, oh, you know, if, if we just had some land. And he, he says to himself... If I only had land, if I only had land, then I wouldn't even be afraid of the devil. But the devil overhears him. <laughs> He's hiding behind the stove, and the devil takes that up as a challenge. Oh, you just want more land. So the devil works it out that pay home, works hard, and, and he starts to accumulate some land of his own as a peasant. He begins working harder and then realizes that he needs more land, and he buys more land and more land. And, and it's not enough. To, to pay for his new business that he has started as the worker of all these fields. So he, he hears that in the other side of the country there are some people and they're poor and they're just simple people and that you could get land there for cheap. 
So he goes there and travels there, and, and he talks to these people, and he offers them all sorts of money, but they really want hardly anything for the land to buy. But then they make him a strange deal. The, these poor people living in the land, they're very simple. They say, well, we'll just take you know, just a few of your trinkets, and you can have as much land as you can walk upon and mark with a spade in one day. They said, if you go out and, and you walk as far as you can, and if you mark that land with a spade, and if you come back to right here where we're meeting on the top of the hill, by, before sundown, you can have all that land. But if you don't make it back, we'll take your money and you get no land. So Pehom says, wow, what a great deal. I can get more land. So Pehom starts out, he, he marked his route, and, and he's thinking about it, so he starts really early in the morning, and he's walking as fast as he can at a good pace, and he's taking his spade, and he's marking the land as he goes, and he keeps walking farther and farther and farther, marking more and more territory for himself. And it's, as it's getting into the afternoon, he realizes he walked a little bit farther than he had wanted to. So he starts to return back to make it to that hill before sunset. But then the sun starts to drop in the sky, and he says, I better move quicker, so he starts picking up his pace and walks faster, and then he starts to run. He's jogging now, and he feels his heart start to pound in his chest. He, he's having a hard time breathing, and he finally, as the sun is just about to set, he makes it to the base of the hill, and the sun goes down. He's like, oh no, I, 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 I walked too far. But then he thinks, oh, at the top of the hill, though, there's probably still sun up there. If I make it a little bit faster, then maybe I can make it up there before the sun goes down. So he sprints as fast as he can, his heart pounding now, runs to the top of the hill to make it there before the sun goes down, and he makes it just before the sun descends behind the horizon. And the men of that village are, are waiting for him, and they cheer him on as he runs to the finish line and collapses there at the top of the hill. And the man walks over to him and says, Pehom, you've done it. <laughs> you can have all that land. Except there, Pehom is dead. Blood running out his mouth. So one of the servants of Pehom picks up the spade, digs a hole, and buries Pehom. Because all the land that he needed was six feet from his head to his heels. See, I, I think that story is so fascinating because it tells us that when we try to get more land, more property, more money, more stuff, we have this greed, this desire for more, this, this desire to be rich, and yet we accumulate all of it, and it be gone like that. That desire to be rich shows us that we'll, it'll never be enough. But Jesus says something with this story. He says how to actually be rich. He says, in a sense, you'll never be rich till you're rich toward God. You'll never be rich till you're rich toward God. You could have all the land in the world, you could save up more money, and you'll never feel like you're rich enough until you're rich toward God. That's what the parable this man told us. That's what that dentist that I never had a chance to meet tells us. That's what pay home story tells us. It's all pointing to the fact that you'll never be rich till you're rich toward God. See, the desire to be rich in itself is not bad. It's that we're directing it towards ourselves. That I can have more, more land, more property, more money, more stuff. That it's all about me. But Jesus says life is not about the abundance of the things we have. You want to be rich, Jesus says. You need to be rich toward God. 
So what does it mean to be rich toward God? That's what we should be asking, right? What does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, we can pick up a couple things from this passage about that. And there's three points I want you to make. If you're taking notes, you can write these three things down. The first one is that it's not for you. It's not for you. Look at verse 21. Jesus said, This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Throughout the whole story, this man says, he's talking to himself. You you can read it. It keeps saying myself, talking to himself. And he says this to himself, and he's storing up money for himself, and he builds these barns for himself. What Jesus is saying is the first off that you need to realize it's not for you. The stuff you have, the money you make, it's never for you. Can you say that out loud? It's not for you. you. Turn to the person next to you and say it, okay? Type that in online. It's not for you. Type in someone's name online and say it's not for you, okay? It's not for you. See, here's the thing. We always feel like we need more, but we don't. 1 Timothy 6.8. The Bible actually tells us how much we need. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. God wants to provide for our needs, but our needs are food and clothing. Not even shelter, okay? Just enough food to eat for that day. Give us today my daily bread and the clothes so I can be protected from the elements. (laughs) And not a whole wardrobe either, does it? Just clothes to cover your body for that day. That's enough. And with that, we can be content because everything above that means we're rich. We are rich. And and we are the wealthiest people on the history of the world here in in our country. We are the wealthiest people in the history of the world. Uh, I don't know if you saw this uh, story a couple months back. There was a um, a very wealthy man, a a billionaire named Chuck Feeney. And Chuck Feeney was the guy who started the duty-free shops duty-free shops, and because he started that, he grew his wealth to $8 billion. But he was a man who had one pair of shoes, didn't even own his own home, but decided he wanted to spend the rest of his life giving away his money. So this year, after 37 years of giving away money, he gave away all of his $8 billion. Because it wasn't for him. It wasn't for him. He could give away all the money because it wasn't for him. I think that's amazing that he did that. And we need to learn to do this because it's not going to be ours anyways. We're not taking anything with us. Corey Ten Boom once said that hold everything, she said, hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. It's not for you. Some of you are saying, well, does that mean I shouldn't save, I shouldn't invest? Well, Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good person leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren, okay? So for two generations, there should be saving up, right? That's the principle in the Proverbs. But even there, we see what you're saving up and investing, it's not for you. So yes, you want your wealth to grow, but even if you're doing that, it's not for you. It's for someone else. So that's the first point. To be rich toward God means it's not for you. The second thing is that it's for God first. It's not for you, and it's for God first. Proverbs 3.9 Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord by giving him your money and the first part of all your crops. 
So this means after the whole season that you've been working and farming the land, the first fruits, the first of your crops, that means before you take anything for yourselves, you're giving back to God. Giving first to God. And that's why we teach here um, that you give first, save second, and live off the rest. We give to God first because it's for God first. Uh, And this is why we want to encourage you guys to be generous here. That's why one of our core values here is generous living. Because generosity is the heart of God, and it's the heart that God wants for us to give to God first. That's why we encourage everyone to give first out of whatever their income is, because you are the wealthiest people in the world. If you make $3,000 a year, you are in the upper half of the world. If you make $30,000 a year, you're in the upper 5%. So even if you're here on a fixed income, God wants you to give to him first. Honor God first. And that's why we've even created the generosity team. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? The generosity team, we're saying, hey, we want you to take that step first. And for some people that are new to giving, that with our generosity team, we're saying, hey, give $25 a week or $100 a month. If you do that here in our church, you are part of our generosity team. We love people who are in that generosity team because they're saying, hey, I'm going to take that step toward generosity. Take that step toward generosity. And some of you are like, well, I'm already there. Then you're taking, need to take the step towards tithing, that you're giving a portion, even 10%, because that's a tithe, 10% of your income to God first. And I hope that all of us will journey there in our faith because this is a matter of faith. You don't trust God if you don't trust him with your money. You don't trust God unless you trust him with your money. It's just the reality. It's part of our faith. That's how we step out and say, God, I'm going to trust you to take care of the rest by just giving you a portion of what you've given me. I can live off the rest. So one, it's not for you. Two, it's for God first. And three, it's for others too. It's for others as well. This is part of what it means to give to God, but, but this is kind of, so this could be a sub-point of point two. Because in Hebrews 13, 16, It says, don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. When you share with others, when you give to others what you have, you're honoring God. It's a sacrifice to God. Isn't that interesting? God is pleased when you give to others, when you're generous with other people around you. So it's not just tithing to the church. It's giving to others as well. John Maxwell um, tells a story about his friend um, James Crocker. And James Crocker was a very successful um, guy who started his own business. He was doing very well as an entrepreneur. And he attended a big, you know, one of those big galas. And, you know, give, so he and his wife gave way more money than they should have that day, right? If you've ever been to some of those things, you buy the plate, you buy the table, you buy the stuff, you the auction. So he gives away all this money. And he and his wife are talking afterwards. She says, honey, do you think we gave away too much money? And he says, definitely not. Because he remembered that one day he went fishing with some buddies for some lobsters. And after they went lobster fishing, he came back with 125 lobsters. That's pretty impressive, right? 125 lobsters, and he's like, this is going to be enough lobsters that I can have for the whole year. So he put them all in his freezer out in his garage, and he was excited. But then his good buddy Jeff came over later that day, and he said, Jeff, let me give you one of my lobsters. So he pulled it out of the freezer and gave Jeff, Jeff this lobster, and it made him feel really good. And he says, I got 125 or 124 now. I can give a few more away. So he starts giving away these lobsters two at a time, three at a time to families. And, and at the end of the week, he realizes he only has three lobsters left. 
And he's like, oh, okay, that, that's good. So, so that weekend, he goes to, to get some of these lobsters out of the freezer, and it stinks. He just smells something just putrid. He realizes that the electricity had gone out in his garage, his freezer shut down, and everything in there was ruined. And he realized, I am so happy that I gave away 122 lobsters because these three I kept for myself are gone. And that's why he realized it's good to be more generous than you think you can to others. Because it's not for me, it's for God first, and it's for others too. That's what we're supposed to learn about what it means to be rich toward God, because if we learn to do that here and now, we will be rich where other people will keep striving and wanting more and building up their wealth and they'll never have enough and they'll rub shoulders with people who make more money than them and they'll never feel rich. We will be rich because we have given away more. We have been generous. It's to be rich toward God if you really want to be rich because you'll never be rich till you're rich toward God. So I want to encourage you to think about that. I know we had a message on giving uh, just a couple months ago, but... But this is God's word. In fact, Jesus talked about giving you know, more than anybody else. I think one-sixth of all his parables are about money. One-third of all the things he said, every single verse in the first three gospels are about money. That's impressive, right? Jesus talked about money because money is where our heart is, right? And we want to have this desire to be rich, but in order to untangle our hearts for that, that greed that's in there, that's leading us astray, we've got to be rich toward God. So I want to encourage you to do that. And, and the biggest reason we need to do that is because God is rich toward us. He is generous towards us. He is so generous that he gave his one and only son to us to die on a cross in our place and forgive us of our sins. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. See, God wants you to be rich. And that's why he gave his own son, his only son, to die on the cross for you. And if God has given us that, if he has been willing to be generous with us, we will be generous with him in return. Because you'll never be rich till you're rich toward God. So I encourage you today, as a step of obedience, as a response to this message, I want to encourage you to give. I want to encourage you to give. That's why we're going to have our time of giving right now as the band is playing that you go right now to arisedenver.com slash give. Or if you're here in person, pull out your phones and do the same thing. I'm serious, get your phones out. Let's give. If you haven't given to God at all, I want you to be part of our generosity team. Set up that recurring giving, $25 a week or $100 a month. Become part of our generosity team. If you're here and, and, and you've done that, maybe it's time for you to be a tither now, especially as we're coming into this new year. New budget, start tithing. It's time to start thinking about that. But if you're saying, hey, I want to give towards others, well, we're going to do something special this holiday season. We've already talked about the Hope Sweet Hope boxes, this delivering hope to every home that we're trying to do. In addition to that, we're going to be unveiling something next week about how we're going to be helping some immigrant families that are coming here with nothing. And we're going to be doing that as a church. So for both of those things, if you go to our website and to our Give tab and you click Delivering Hope, that you want to give money to Delivering Hope, all that money is going to go... to this holiday season to deliver hope to families in our area. So I encourage you guys to do that as well. If you just say, hey, I want to be extra rich to somebody this, this holiday season. I want to get my heart un- untangled from this greed that has been there. I want to give back to God. And that's how we're going to respond today 
in faith. So take, take a few moments to do that. Would you just please, please bow your heads, close your eyes right now. God, you have given to us first. You have given us your own son to us. That Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. That we might become rich. Lord God, I pray that we would change our mindset. Not that we need to stop wanting to be rich, but that we want to be rich toward you. And that we would know deep down that we'll never be rich till we're rich towards you. And help us to be the most generous people on the face of the planet. That we would be a church that lives out generous living that with our times, talents, and treasures, we gladly give them to serve God and to serve others. Lord, I thank you for all the generous men and women in our church. I thank you for the family who just this last month gave $10,000 to the Raise the Roof Fund. Lord God, I'm so grateful for them, and I pray that you'd bless them through it, that they would know that they are rich. Lord, for all of us as we give, that you would help us know that we are rich and that we'd find joy because it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you're here today and, and you realize that um, you have never accepted God's gift of his son, but you're ready to do that because you know, hey, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make him my Lord and Savior. I just want you to say this prayer after me. If we can put this prayer up there, I'm going to say this prayer. You can repeat it after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. Make me new. I declare that Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I believe you died for me so I could live for you. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. Now, if you made that decision for the first time and said that prayer, go to risedenver.com follow and fill out that form. I'd love to connect with you and the most amazing decision you have made in your life. Now, let's uh, just say uh, this, this prayer as we give to God. Lord God, for all of us, whether we made that decision for the first time to follow you or, or we're t stepping out in faith even more to be generous with our time, talents, and treasures, I pray that you would bless us through it, that we would know truly that it is more blessed to give than receive. And right now, we want to offer up the words of our mouth too as we sing and take these words, take our gifts, and multiply them. In Jesus' name, 